Joyce Tapley, as a CEO of a multi-million dollar healthcare center, is a proven thought leader on matters of public health. We created this podcast because it's time for a real discussion about the state of healthcare in our nation. Welcome to a new episode of Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. Today, we are in for a real treat. My in-studio guest is Leah King, and her career has been a journey of excellence. I'm actually a bit speechless by what she's accomplished and the influence she continues to maintain. She currently is the president and chief executive officer of United Way of Tarrant County. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But what's really impressive is the senior leadership roles Leah has ascended to across many areas of influence. She was an executive in the oil and gas industry, the banking industry, and the technology industry. That demands a robust set of skills and a visionary approach to leadership. Leah King, thank you for being on Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. I am so honored that you are my guest. Thank you so much for having me today. I want to begin by asking you the mission and the purpose of United Way, and how does your role as the president and CEO serve to support the mission of United Way? I love to get this question because United Way is very complicated, but I'm going to simplify it for people. Um, We are here to first inform people of what's happening within the community. We do that by first providing some research, and that research gives us specific data on what challenges people are facing in the community. Once we have that data, then we set about informing. That might be through in-person town hall meetings, uh, press releases, many, many meetings with elected officials, we need to be sure that people understand what the struggles are, what the systems are that are in place that may be causing those struggles. And so that informing part is really important. Uh, From next, the next thing that we do after we inform is then we seek about to invest in those areas specifically. And we do that by working uh, sometimes on our own and other times with a number of community partners. Those partners may be other nonprofits, they may be government entities. It really runs the gamut. It just depends on what that challenge is and where specifically it's located. And once we begin that investment, we also invite investment into United Way to give us the resources to allow us to apply those funds and or technical assistance to the community so that they can start to overcome some of these challenges. And from there, we're off to repeat that cycle. So we're informing, we're investing. We invite people to come along with us to uh, volunteer, to, uh, to, to work alongside us, to guide, to advise us. So it's really a cyclical process but all of it is informed directly by what's happening in the community. You know, that is a wonderful thing. I've heard of United Way many times, and I've also applied for United Way funding for the community impact funding in the past, but I didn't realize that you all did a lot of data research to inform and educate, and then actually invite people in to help support what you're doing to build up the communities. I think that is a wonderful mission that I just did not realize that was the magnitude Uh, that you win. Yeah, many people don't necessarily understand um, why we work on the things that we we do. And each United Way is different. Our United Way is, uh, and it's probably because of my professional background, we're going to be data-driven. It doesn't make sense to apply funding and resources that's precious 
and limited into areas that might already have an abundance of, of support. So we have to understand first what those struggles are, but also where specifically they're happening. And that gives us the best ability to get to the root and really have the greatest impact. So United Way is a nonprofit? That's correct. That's right. Partnering with people in the community who strive to do all of the grassroots efforts. That's right. So we have this really amazing initiative going on, just as an example. Uh, it's a pilot right now in uh, the 76104 neighborhood in Fort Worth, mm -hmm. which is a hospital district. But it's really interesting uh, community. Uh, it's not unlike communities across this country that were divided uh, intentionally yes. by a freeway. And so a freeway came through and divided uh, east and west. Mm -hmm. And the west side is where the hospitals ended up. Uh, just a short eighth of a mile on the other side of the freeway mm -hmm. is the east side of that zip code, which has uh, no grocery stores. It mm -hmm. has um, been underinvested for generations. And if you literally just walked under the freeway from one side to the other, the dramatic difference is so obvious that you can't just stay quiet about it. Right. And so we're working directly with community leaders, and those community leaders are telling us what their priorities are around education, and that's the biggest one that's, that comes up over and over. Sure. But access to healthcare, they literally can't get that eighth of a mile to the public hospital. Yeah. It's a problem uh, because the transit system isn't necessarily always lined up with the way that the people that need to use it to get to the hospital. And so if you're ill and you end up in the emergency room and then you leave with a set of orders to see a primary care physician or something like that, it's not as easy as it sounds for many people in that community. And so uh, for the past about six months, we've been working very closely with a number of people um, to focus on small businesses, to, smoke, to focus on uh, healthcare access. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that zip code has the dubious distinction of having the lowest life expectancy in our state oh by 12 years. It's uh, just over 66 years uh, of age, which is, un it's just unfathomable that that is happening in the hospital district. Yes. You know, it's almost something you can't make up. And, and as, a, um, as an institution, as an organization, and understanding the research, which we did not do, by the way, mm -hmm. someone from UT uh, Southwest did the research, but we are incorporating that research into, again, driving our investments specifically within that community. Well, I'm going to do a pitch, a real quick pitch, for community-based health centers, which I know yes. there are some located in Fort Worth. Those are areas where people can get their primary care, full, full scope of services. So hopefully there is a way that United Way can partner with the community-based health centers as well so that those who have challenges with access to health care can really get that. That's exactly right. And actually, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Brooks, Dr. Michael Brooks is one of our, we call them ambassadors. Mm -hmm. The ambassadors are people that live or work within that specific area. His practice is there, and he is the one that's spearheading that, uh, that dialogue among the uh, community health centers to ensure awareness, because a lot of times people are not even aware that those resources are available, sometimes literally just a few blocks away. And we need to make sure that we change the trajectory of not only life expectancy, but just well-being and thriving uh, within that community, which we know then permeates into so many other areas uh, throughout just quality of life overall. And it seems, too, I think that is just 
amazing that you all have the reach that you do amongst all of these corporate, these public and private uh, companies. And since we're in the pandemic, the second year into it, I believe most of the businesses are now understanding how to proactively respond or prepare for uh, upcoming emergencies, things that we never thought would happen. But this is one that has affected everyone and our way of thinking and how we respond is definitely different and probably improved because we are learning to not only take care of ourselves, but take care of others, which is something that not all businesses do. I want to talk a little bit about uh, healthcare disparities, and we touched on it a little bit. Our podcast does address healthcare disparities and the health inequities in the vulnerable communities that you're already serving. How do you see the corporate social responsibility uh, with healthcare disparities and, and their purpose and what they're doing now, which may be different than what was done before the pandemic? You know, it's interesting. The, the larger corporations do a good job of providing benefits and resources. Uh, it's some of the smaller companies that don't have the capability of, of affording to even provide that as a benefit to their employees. And during the pandemic, it became abundantly clear at the number of people in Texas that do not have access to health care. We're one of the worst uh, in this country, unfortunately. And um, we don't seem to be in a rush to get better. And that's really unfortunate because the resources have been provided to us by the, from the federal government. We just refuse to accept them. And as long as that's the case, then we're actually going to be spending more money on emergency room care than we need to as a state. That drains resources. And, and that's just silly. It's, it's literally just one of the silliest things I've seen. The more people that we can cover, children and adults alike, the less expensive it is for us. And that analysis has been done repeatedly. And so this is where you get into that little weird area of, of politics driving something that is about a person's well-being. And that is so unfortunate because people literally are dying unnecessarily because they do not have access to health care. And most of the time, those are black and brown people. And that is unacceptable when we have the tools and resources here. At a minimum, cover the children, right? And that even sounds weird to like, I can't even believe I'm saying that, but at least cover the kids. And we have, as an organization, worked with the Children's Defense Fund and worked uh, on advocacy to help encourage the expansion of healthcare for children. And then during the last session, we did see um, there was some movement, at least there was coverage for new moms that was extended by six months to allow them to at least have coverage while their uh, newborn uh, goes from, from zero to six months. So it's still far from enough, and, and it really speaks to the healthcare outcomes that we have, which are unfavorable, um, but it's, it's because of decisions that we've made on how to or not to invest. That is true. You've said everything that's right on target. It's unfortunate that the state of Texas, as big and as rich as it is, has the worst outcomes as it relates to health care, some in education, 
in other areas that are, that are key to helping people perform in life and do the things that they want to do in life. And I'm going to pitch again for community health centers because those are primary care medical homes for anyone, whether they have insurance or no insurance, and they can get their preventive care, their primary care by excellent doctors and dentists and nurses and behavioral health specialists, all the things that a person would need to take care of themselves and their family members are at the community health centers. And I would hope that part of United Way's efforts, part of the state's efforts to really address health disparities is, is trying to not just utilize hospitals, which are really for tertiary care. That's right. To use community-based health centers. Well, they're more easily accessible by sure. the people that need it most anyway. And uh, the relationships that are able to be formed in those centers is greater and deeper than yes. what you're going to find in a hospital because of the frequency and that relation and the time that can be spent to really learn and understand what is happening with an individual. Rarely is it that they go in that there's just the thing that they went in for. There's something else beneath that. That's correct. And, and, and those types of things are more likely to be identified because of that time spent in a community health center versus uh, at a traditional hospital. It's just, the, the roles are very different. That is correct. And I think a lot of us uh, get, confuse those roles, and it's easy to do so. You know, you get sick, you think you go to the hospital, they make you better and you leave. Um, but you can prevent many of the things that land you in the hospital if you're taking the time to see someone in your neighborhood uh, that often looks like you and understands the conditions among uh, your family yes. and the community and the environment that can also help to say, here are some things that you can do proactively to remain or regain uh, health and strength. And so I, I strongly agree with you. And we have a strong network of, of those centers throughout Tarrant County and Fort Worth. And um, I'm hoping that they become really the beacon, the cornerstone for, uh, for neighborhoods throughout the city because it is something that really gives back directly to the individuals and uh, can help reduce, at the end of the day, healthcare costs for, for all of us. That is, that is correct. You know, I'm starting to hear more now that the administration's current and past administrations are speaking more and using the term community health centers, which are, are located all over the United States, including Dallas-Fort Worth and North Texas, all over Texas, all over the states. And so if people just understand that they really do not have to use the hospital every time they're sick and go to a regular primary care doctor, one who can get to know you and understand your family and help you if you have a chronic condition, help you manage that, or help you pre prevent a, a chronic condition, help you prevent a chronic, I'm sorry, I'll say it over again. If you have a primary care doctor who can help you prevent chronic conditions, then that may be the real solution to eliminating these health disparities, is going and getting the regular checkups for your children as well as for yourself. It's true, and what we find too is that the um, MedStar and, and those that would transport, they end up being called more frequently and unnecessarily because of the lack of proactive 
management of your own health and well-being. And so um, things like falls, if you fall in your home, which mm-hmm. is something that happens far too often. Yes. But with regular physical activity, and there are there are um, proactive things that can be done to help train someone on how to maintain their balance. Um, but also, if you do fall, how to fall. Right. <laughs> and right. Uh, and and those types of things can help again, just to even alleviate some of the strain that MedStar and other emergency transport services find themselves in and taking, responding to people's homes where really they don't necessarily need to go to the hospital. Correct. And so we find ourselves right now currently, um, our area agency on aging, working directly with, uh, with cities and with the emergency transport providers because we know who the, and I'll do air quotes, uh, frequent flyers are, mm-hmm. those people who use that system for primary care when really their needs are, uh, are, are different. And so it might be they need uh, more social services and a social, work from our, a social worker from our organization can help not necessarily have to transport them to the hospital. Yeah. And so uh, by working together, we're hoping to actually provide a, a better quality, quality of life mm-hmm. for the individual and not necessarily have to tie up resources on the healthcare system. That's correct. I really appreciate this discussion. You've offered a lot of solutions to the healthcare disparities. So thank you for that. We are going to go to a break, and we'll be back in a little bit. You are listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley, and our special guest is Leah King. Inspire Art Dallas uses advocacy, fundraising, and public events to encourage the flourishing of the City of Dallas public art program and to enrich public art experiences for residents and visitors to the City of Dallas. I'm Kay Kalos, Public Art Program Manager for the City of Dallas Office of Arts and Culture. My name is Kaya and I'm almost a teenager. I have a real problem. My daddy and my grandfather love pie. For my daddy, it's apple. For my poppy, it's anything lemon. But they won't bring me any pie. I don't think that's fair. They always go to Judy Pie on Main Street in Grapevine, where Miss Judy and her bakers make 20 different kinds of pies and cinnamon rolls on the weekend. But I don't get any. They tell me I can have pie when I'm a teenager, like pie is only for grown-ups or something. Can someone please call my daddy and my poppy and tell them I need pie? In the meantime, you can go to JudyPie.com, or if you're in Grapevine, Texas, visit Judy Pie on Main Street. And if my daddy or my poppy are there, tell them that Kaya wants a piece of pie. Welcome back, and my special guest is Ms. Leah King with United Way of Tarrant County. I would like to transition now and talk about your journey. I'm actually interested in hearing your story, and I believe that you have a great story to tell. So if you leave anything out, I will add to it at the end. I just want to let you know, because I've got a two-pager on you, and I know some other things about you, too. So, But if you can, please talk about your journey, too, how you started, and how you became interested in what you're doing now. 
Sure. Uh, it's definitely a non-traditional journey, for sure, professionally. Um, I've had so many opportunities to work in a number of areas that really prepared me to do the work that I'm doing today. So if I look back to how I even came to be in Texas, I was working for Radio Shack Corporation in North Carolina in, as a store sales manager. And the company was going through quite a bit of transition. There was a uh, upcoming retirement of CEO, new CEO coming in. Uh, so all new marketing and reorganizing the organization in a number of ways. And so part of the new marketing at that time was this, uh, what now is so much part of the American lexicon, you've got questions, we've got answers. You hear that everywhere now. Well, think back to the early 90s when that was just coming out. And what was happening was, let's take that not only from just our marketing tagline, but also to uh, bring a personal embodiment to that in the form of what was called the answer team. And so there was a call put out to store managers around the country to apply to be one of six answer team captains. And so I don't know how many store managers applied. I'm sure there were a number of them. I was one of them. And, uh, and I was one of the six people selected to come to Fort Worth to be part of this answer team. And it was to be a, a temporary role. I was supposed to be here for, I don't know, nine to 18 months, something like that. And our job was to travel the country and to help people understand how to better use their consumer electronics that they were purchasing from Radio Shack because you know, we were the answer people, and people came to the stores to get complex tech stuff for their home, uh, those types of questions answered, and, and we invariably could help them. So it was great. So that's how I got to be to Texas, and, and it was fantastic. I was in my uh, mid-20s. I was traveling the country. The company was flying me from city to city, and I would do morning TV and help explain how to keep your VCR which most people don't even know what that is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but how to keep it from blinking 12, like nobody knew how to set the VCR clock right. and if the power went off. Anyway, um, so that was part of the initial uh, reason that I got to be here. Okay. And what I didn't know was that um, the, the tapes of all six of us when we were on the road from our media interviews were being sent back to this executive team. Mm -hmm. And they were reviewing these tapes because what they had determined is that they were gonna pull one person from the team to actually work on a side project permanently. Okay. Well, that person ended up being me. Okay. And uh, so, so I started working on another project that was equally uh, interesting and, and I got to be very creative in it, and yes. uh, which is not necessarily my nature, but I had a lot of fun. And it was to put on um, uh, and produce a program for law enforcement officers. And oh. so we would do uh, a monthly satellite um, downlink to uh, Radio Shack district offices around the country, mm -hmm. and we'd invite local law enforcement in. And uh, so I got to work with folks from the FBI, uh, from from uh, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Wow. And we did a number of programs that helped the public, but mainly law enforcement, understand how to um, work and do community policing in okay. a way that uh, strengthened their relationships with the, with the communities. Okay. What I found in that company was I had a great uh, ally and a great friend and, and someone who was my number one cheerleader and supporter in the CEO. Mm -hmm. And every two years or so, he would call me up and he would say, Leah, um, I'm thinking about putting a new group together here. I'm thinking about doing something 
different over here. Um, come talk to me about that. And so, um, so I got to do that. And I was with that company for 15 years. Mm. The last time that happened, he said, um, Leah, we are expanding our investor relations department, and we really um, would like you to come and be part of that. And so when he shared that with me, I said, yeah, I'm not, I can't do that. <laughs> like, like that sounds really like that. I, I, I'm not qualified to do that. And he said, he said, look, you know everything there is to know about this business. Yes. And, uh, and you're not uncomfortable speaking with people. So those are two of the biggest obstacles and hurdles. Yes. And I said, I am not a CPA. I am not a financial analyst. <laughs> so um, that would be a no. And he said, listen. He said, you know I'm the father of three daughters, and I'm telling you if I was sitting down with any one of my girls that I would insist that they take this position, and here's why. At your age, you will spend every day with people in the C-suite, and no one else has that kind of access. Wow, that's right. And you need to understand the importance of that. And as he explained to me, um, the types of meetings that I would be involved in and who would be present in the discussions that I would hear, that's when I thought, okay, I've got to do something different. So I, the answer was yes. And then I went to uh, Dallas Baptist University oh. and enrolled in some accounting classes and uh, some finance Smart. classes because I, I, I couldn't have somebody telling me what the numbers said. Like I needed to be able to analyze them for myself. That's right. And, um, and so in, in doing that, it made me uh, better uh, prepared and, and a stronger um, resource for our department in investor relations. So, so after 15 years, left that organization, uh, did a little stint as a, um, uh, a headhunter and for accounting and finance professionals, mm -hmm. and that was really fun and exciting work. And while I was doing that, a friend of mine, former uh, boss of mine actually, uh, we were having lunch, and she said, "Hey, I'm working for this company, Chesapeake Energy, and uh, and it's growing and things are going well. And by the way, I'm moving." out of state and uh, you should go and apply for my job and I said I'm really enjoying what I'm doing and she said Leah let me tell you like this is a great company you yes. should go and talk to them and so I went and spoke with uh, a, who to this day is still a dear friend Julie Wilson who was the lead person for the company in our area and uh, and I mean immediately we just hit it off we had an instant uh, connection yeah. and worked there for several years um, so so yeah it's a variety and a, a lengthy um, types of experience, but all of those put me in the place where I am today um, to lead an organization that really has to do advocacy and yes. working closely with government officials. I have to be able to communicate. I have to be able to do marketing. I have to be able to have culture that keeps my folks happy and uh, passionate. And so um, everything that I've done in the past has prepared me for the seat that I have today. And you didn't go f back far enough. Because <laughs> something that really has prepared you for your life experiences is your military travel. Oh, my goodness, yeah. yeah you're an yeah. Air Force, uh, Army brat, and I'm an Air Force brat. And mm -hmm. we understand how important it is that when we move around a lot, we have to figure out how to make friends, possibly keep friends, sell yourself. That's right. To be resilient um, is something that a lot of folks don't think about in terms of the family of that military member. Correct. That whole family serves, That's and it correct. is not easy. I probably changed schools 15 to 20 times by eighth grade. Yeah. 
right? It was not easy. And uh, and and when I say change schools, I mean like countries, right? Yes. So not I like know. from, you know, South Philly to South Jersey. Right. This would be like South Philly to West Germany. Yes. And so the language barriers, the cultural uh, differences, mm-hmm. because we didn't live on base. We lived oh. uh, on, on the German economy, oh. which meant that all of our neighbors were Germans. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me because at such a young age, I think I was uh, five, about to turn six when we went for the first time, it really opened my eyes to understanding differences and similarities among yes. people, among countries, yes. uh, among cultures. And I think that is key to who I am today and why this work speaks to me so much. I know you've seen a lot and you've accomplished a lot, but here's what I want you to consider. What are the systemic factors that cause disadvantaged communities to remain disadvantaged? Oh my goodness, there are so many, unfortunately. List as many as you can think of, because more people need to know about the actual systemic causes and foundations that we don't always hear about. So as many as you can list, that would be great. Sadly, we see it exists in the criminal justice system, in the educational system, in healthcare system, um, it, there's really not any system that you don't see those challenges. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is that as these systems were created originally, they were not created for black or brown people. And so if you build on a system that is not created to support specific populations, as they evolve over time, Technology may make it easier for some of us to learn Mm -hmm. how to access, but the barrier might still be there. If I can't access your system because of a transportation system that is not thinking about how I can get to school or to work or to the doctor, they're just thinking about literally transit for the sake of transit, then you've got two systems at odds with each other, neither of which is supporting the community. That's, that's true. The financial system and banking systems, you know, you think about how over years, you, know, you, you couldn't get a loan for a mortgage as a person of color. Right. That wasn't happening. And if you mm-hmm. did, then it could only be over here, right? And yes. even then, the quality of that construction wasn't the same as the quality of the construction, perhaps even by the same builder in another neighborhood. Mm -hmm. That quality shows up in the form of paints used, insulation used. Mm -hmm. So then what kind of health issues come? Everything is inextricably linked. So you can't separate these systems one from another They all build and support each other, and it's why it's so difficult to dismantle them. And so what we have to do is to continue to call it out, to identify and to highlight examples, Mm -hmm. and really be there to push for change. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of what you have, your knowledge and your experience and, and your 
your drive and your energy. It's very clear that what you are doing is going to be very lasting and you're going to leave a legacy at United Way, too. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so Leah much. Leah King, <laughs> President and CEO, United Way of Tarrant County. Thank I you so much. appreciate you, Joyce. Thank you so much. And that concludes another installment of Healthcare Chat. For all upcoming and previous episodes, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hit the subscribe button and you'll always be notified when a new podcast is published. Until next time, thank you again for listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. Thank you.